it's not really just about like having the bravery to be able to speak, but it's also about having the bravery to believe that you can trust yourself and that you do have inner wisdom. Hi, I'm Lou, and this is More Permission, a podcast for women who want to enjoy life, ditch the toxic scripts, and live authentically. Wherever you are, however you found this, I hope you'll feel welcome here. Okay, so this week we're talking about permission to use our voice. So why did we think this was a good one to start with? (laughs) I think it's something that's so fundamental and yet it becomes so quickly a barrier. Like it shouldn't be hard to use your own voice and yet suddenly you, you can find yourself in a situation, even if you're confident, where you feel a bit voiceless I guess and muted um and that's frustrating (laughs) like does there is there a time that stands out for you where you've got a really good example of where that's happened I've got two kids and um, I'm just trying to get back into the job world post my second child and um I'm quite a confident chatty warm person like to talk but um I have felt that when um, I've gone for interviews and it's not worked out that they have slowly had a kind of um, a wearing effect on the permission I feel to use my own voice. You know, it's almost like not getting a job and not having, you know, not getting a job repeatedly feels like that's kind of a reflection back in me to say, actually, we don't think what you're saying is, is needed here. So it, it feels suddenly like me trying to say, no, I've got something to say, I've got something to bring. And that feels draining in itself <laughs> mm-hmm. so just for our listeners that was Jen speaking this is Lou um so Jen when you're talking like that it sounds like it sounds like you become quieter and quieter after each rejection yeah and there's a sense of starting big and getting smaller and smaller and I can definitely identify with that to the extent where I have a line in my life where I can see small Lou and then big Lou. And obviously it's not that polarized and it's not that neat and tidy, but there was definitely, a, you know, a huge point in turning point in my life where I went from being small, you know, keeping myself in line, um, very much in the permission territory that I felt I had access to. And that included my voice massively. I would not speak out confidently or authentically and then after that line what I call big Lou started to come out and you know I'm still growing into big Lou I'm definitely not fully there yet and I have plenty of moments of small Lou come over me but it I really identify with what you've just said as being like turning up at that first interview as big Lou like I'm gonna get this job I've got so much to bring and then rejection after rejection after rejection it wears you down and it Mm -hmm. is so easy to then just go small again and and retreat it's like it's got a bit of shame attached to it maybe as well yeah Um, I see big Jen as someone sadly often in my past I feel like I was very confident and I was very keen to share my opinion and wasn't intimidated by situations very easily um 
I, I really believed for years that every interview was me also deciding if I wanted the job mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, and yeah. arrived like that um and also like I'm sure both of you have been in situations with maybe high-powered individuals or influential people and realize actually they they might be wise and they um, might be uh clever in the way they apply their their knowledge but they're not necessarily superior in knowledge if that makes sense and yeah um so I was always like actually all of our voices are valuable because now I'm at this table I can see that we're all just applying what we know and we've all got something to bring um so I that's kind of how I was however it's just so frustrating and demoralizing when yeah, when you don't get the interview or you're not invited to speak into a situation, you're not invited to the table, people don't ask your opinion anymore. And suddenly you feel like you're just talking to the walls. And it it's so hard then to like come back in, isn't it? And it, and it, and I feel like I crave somebody saying, we want to hear your voice. Well, Jen, we want to hear your voice and that's why you're on this podcast. So there you go. You've got that voice in your ear loud and clear and I really hope you can hear it. But um, my question to that is, do you think that the more we shrink and become that small Jen, that small Lou, that small Adele, do you think that the world then responds to our shrinking by, you know, it's a kind of like it's a game that you play with the world. So the, you might not get that job and that makes you appear smaller the next time. But when you appear smaller, the world then treats you smaller. So you get less chance to speak out or do you know what I mean? It's kind of, yeah, no, I do. it's not a one way street. It's like if our response walking into the room is that we are small, then the room sees us as small as well, to some extent. There is that, but <laughs> that sort of makes it sound as if like the cause comes from us when actually I think the cause is much bigger than that. I mean, the things that we're talking about are behavioral patterns that don't start with individuals. They are rooted in systemic problems. You know, the whole thing about who gets to dominate a conversation, that's not, that, that isn't just a personality difference. That isn't just because somebody's more confident. It often is because somebody has more privilege and therefore more rights to speak. Yeah. And so, you know, permission giving yourself permission is often liberatory work. It's about deciding that actually I'm not going to allow myself to be silenced based on um, things that I was born into, um, based on the the way that the, the world has decided who gets to tell their story and who has their story told about them and um, prescribed in very, very narrow ways. Yeah, so uh, again, just to introduce you speaking there, that was Adele. Um, Adele, what what do you think are some of those barriers? What are those prescribed conditions that allow you to have the stage or do not? It's a white supremacist um, behavioral pattern for people with white privilege to dominate the conversation. Um, And I'm sure all of us have had experiences where we've been in a meeting with a cis white man and, um, and they have definitely... Um, felt the the rights to set the agenda yeah. and um and you know this is so deeply ingrained that it we can often play along with that and not realize that actually we're deferring to other people um and we um we, we are making ourselves smaller not not because there's something inherently wrong with our self-esteem or but because that's what we're conditioned to do that everything is set up to allow more pe- some people to have more of a voice than others 
Yeah. Do you think that there's a, a difference between the genders on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I gave the example of the of, of the cis man because I think that's yeah. a, that's a situation that all of us can can relate to. What about age? Do you think age has a factor in it? I think every type of oppression has a factor in you know whether it's gender oppression, age age oppression, you know, um children aren't allowed the same sort of voice, elders aren't allowed the same voice as um as people who sort of fall in the middle middle category. Um anybody who is positioned as the norm as in anybody who society is um is shaped around um whose needs the society recognizes is um is is then the the one who has who has the voice you know you just have to turn your, your tv on and, and you know see who is most represented and um and we we know that that's the person who gets to have the voice so and for a lot of us kind of um as we take time to try to to speak about about things you know we're it makes sense that it's difficult to do that because we're not just fighting conditioning inside of us. We're also fighting to be seen in a world that we're not represented in necessarily. So, and that, yeah. that relates for all of us because all of us had fall into at least one category where, you know, where we are targeted um, yeah. in a targeted social group. So, yeah. So it's like an internal battle and an external battle. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a yeah. lot. I mean, I definitely experienced a, I had a lot of confidence um, growing up in, in Trinidad, which actually was afforded by my own privilege in various areas. And um, and I had a huge knock of confidence when I moved over here and became a much more quieter, questioning myself kind of person. And I find that, you know, even having lived here for 15 years, I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago, I should probably say in the Caribbean. And I'm still finding that I have to keep reminding myself when I'm in a situation where there is a difference of opinion, not to just assume but that, well, I must have missed something and the other person wow. must, you know, must have a point. And um, and I, I regularly have to go through things afterwards where I reflect and think, actually, no, I was right. <laughs> and I should have just stuck to my guns with that and not assumed um, that they had the same level of knowledge that they were bringing to the situation, because actually I did understand the situation better than they did. Um, so it's, it's a lot about trusting yourself, actually, this whole thing. It's not really just about like having the bravery to be able to speak, but it's also about having the bravery to believe that you can trust yourself and that you do have inner wisdom and yeah. that, it, um, yeah, you can make good decisions. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Uh, and also, I think having the bravery to know that even if you open your mouth and there's somebody that has a better idea in the room or wiser, it's not the end of the world. Like, yes. it doesn't make you look stupid to share that opinion. Mm. Yeah, yeah this I is one of my one of my biggest fears always since I've been like teeny and it still haunts me now is I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to get it wrong. I would rather say nothing than get it wrong. And I'm trying my best to break out of that. Um, yeah. But that 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 was planted at a very early age and it's controlled a lot of my decisions and choices and definitely it's, it's controlled my voice. Um, 
there's the, the shame that waves over me, even at the thought of saying something in a room or in a situation where there's people listening and I've got it wrong. And it's, yeah, it's horrible. And I actually can think where it's come from. Like there's a moment in my schooling where I, um, we were all asked to write our names on um, a piece of paper because we were new in the class and our teacher wanted to learn our names. And my name's Louise. But I was um, 11 years old and I wanted to be called Lulu because that's what my friends called me. And, you know, he seemed like a friendly teacher. So I thought, OK, I'll, I'll let him call me Lulu. I wrote Lulu and I put my little plaque up in front of me and he looked around at everybody's and kind of said them out loud. And he looked at mine and said, you don't expect me to call you that, do you? And I felt so small and humiliated. I just I remember just feeling like I got it wrong. I got it wrong. I got it so wrong. And that feeling has then stuck with me. That's a feeling that I have had so many times. And it's only now in these last few years where I've been unpicking at all these things and realizing where they've come from that I'm like, I don't have to carry on like that. I can, I'm an adult now. I can deal with it. If I get it wrong, you know, there is a way back. Um, I don't have to sink beneath the floorboards yeah. yeah it's incredible how these early experiences really stay with us and really erode erode things like I, to this morning I was um, cutting my six-year-old's fingernails and um and I was just remembering holding out standing in a line in primary school holding out our fingers to be have our nails inspected I don't know but <laughs> you know it's amazing to me because I spoke to a friend earlier on, on the phone um a, a British friend and she was shocked as well like I just thought everybody <laughs> went through this but, but what, what struck me with that was just the level of invasion of privacy this this very personal thing wasn't respected and I was just think, thinking um I wonder where I've carried that because I remember it so clearly and mm. being so worried about it. That must have been a shaping experience to be so, to just be able to kind of recall that so vividly in that moment. Mm. And I was also just really glad that my kids don't have to go through bullshit like that, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think my toddler, my three-year-old already has that. And I really don't know where she gets it from because I think, although I have really specific memories of moments I remember for example the school assembly them trying to get us to name the countries in Africa and I was trying to say Kenya and I knew where it was on the map and um, put my hand up and the head teacher was like yes and general no countries because her parents used to live in East Africa and I started to say Kenya and then I just forgot the word you know when you have that when you literally open your mouth and you're like I can't remember what so I <laughs> <Yeah>. said Kent <laughs> Oh no. And then like he found it hilarious, obviously. But also he just kept <laughs> saying it. And he brought it up oh, no. in like various assemblies. And I must have been about six, seven years old. Oh I wasn't very goodness. old at all. And it was mortifying, but amazingly, <laughs> this is how confident I used to be. It just didn't I remembered being embarrassed. Um, but also I still would try. I'd be like, Wow. Because in my head. I know in my head I had a, I knew what I meant to say. I meant to say Kenya. I just said the wrong thing. But what you did experience was a form of, you know, that that was adultism. Yeah. And it was, but it was also, it was a a form of oppression. You know, the way we don't see things from children's points of view that we don't, because we don't, you know, he probably thought it was kind of funny because he didn't really see that a six or seven year old would really kind of be fussed about that. It's just not um, entering into the perspective of somebody who, is different yeah. From- and yeah and I think like you said a lot of 
my kind of resilience about that might have been personality and definitely my parents um raising us to speak up my my dad especially threw us into a lot of situations which weren't always enjoyable but did give me especially a strong sense of being okay with walking into a room of people that I didn't know mm-hmm. but my daughter you know and she's three she's not really been in any not really any big social settings um today we were just talking about um using your voice we were reading a Charlie and Lola book and Lola speaks to her school about recycling and I said to, to her would you would you feel confident to speak up about something you really cared about you know like because she's brave isn't she and uh my daughter was like no I wouldn't do it (laughs) and I said to her well you know there are lots of ways to to use your voice without speaking there are lots of ways of getting your you know your point across Mm. but she was just she was literally scared of the idea (laughs) kids do sort of like they're very um their brains are very plastic and you know they're still at a stage where they're changing lots of things and so although she might be feeling that way now that doesn't necessarily mean that like in a year she'll Mm. still be that way I just found it interesting because I'm so different I think so Mm. and I was quite different from a young age I think a good point that you just made though is that she's ever-changing and something that I've been thinking about recently is that I'm ever-changing so sometimes I get a bit low going back to that kind of idea of big gen little gen and and using our voice sometimes I feel like oh I was so confident back then and maybe naively unaware of the privilege that I carried as well but I was confident and now I feel diminished at so often how do I get back to there and and I can't really but I am ever changing and um I can I can create small steps towards being braver about using my voice I can yeah try and put myself out there a bit more slowly and and kind of in a careful way to be honest because I think one of the things that's difficult about that is those knocks when they come when you're already low they affect you so much more don't they um and you don't want them to but they do so yeah What do you find scary to talk about? Like we're, we're talking about like using our voice in a kind of a general way, but is there a specific thing that is frightening to lend your voice to? I think kind of lending my voice to, oh, it's going to sound so arrogant, but selling myself in terms of, of getting a job, I find that really difficult now. See, having known you for such a long time, <laughs> I'm finding that so hard to believe. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wonder whether do you feel like becoming do you feel like having kids has made a difference has that been has there been a shift in your confidence yeah there has um not completely one way or the other if I'm honest there are areas where I feel much more confident you know I'm sure you both relate but I feel like if you give me an hour I can be a lot more productive than I used to be in an hour (laughs) you know (laughs) you can really get shit done um but definitely the time out of work um and just lack of sleep <laughs> do make it um, me feel yeah more embarrassed that I'm not I don't feel as present as I should be at times don't feel as put together <laughs> definitely and also I'm currently interviewing waiting to hear for a job about a job and I felt really embarrassed saying oh I, c- I can only do part-time hours you know like in my head I felt like I was being difficult I felt like I was mm. 
And and I don't think that's true at all. I think when we have to speak up about these things, actually lots of people do. And by yeah. speaking up, we give permission to other people to say, actually, there are other things in my life that need to be weighed up here. Mm. But um, being the first or feeling like you're the first because mm. the system isn't set up to, you know, like there was nothing on my application forms to ever say, would you like to work part-time hours? Let's t- talk about what else is going on in your life um, mm. and how we can be flexible to make you the best employee you can be. It's always something extra that you've got to Mm. And then you've got to say, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it puts a lot of pressure on you. But you actually what you're doing is you're advocating for yourself and you're advocating for the kind of worlds that you want as yeah. well. And worlds that will would benefit a lot of people, people who don't have children. Yeah, Every, everybody there's... needs to have a work-life balance. It is a very patriarchal system to say, actually, we're going to we're going to live to work and, you know, fuck everybody else in yeah. my life, you know. Yeah. Um, so. But to actually say, actually, I'm going to start bringing up the other things in my life on par and say that my relationships are important. The nurturing side of my life, even if it's nurturing myself, is important. It's a huge shift, both internally and externally, that needs to happen. And I think that for people who have benefited from things being the way that they are, um, it's it's really crucial that they they participate in this and it's probably going to be harder for them to do it as well because initially it might mean losing out absolutely yeah. and that's the problem yeah so just to give give my answer on your question Adele about the hardest what was your what was your question yeah so what is what is scary you know what where yes. is it difficult to speak yes Okay. So I write, um, I've got a blog called permission slip and, um, I try and explore things that scare me a little bit to, to actually publish. Um, and I've really leaned into that in the last couple of months. Um, so I, I feel like I'm writing the, I'm writing about the right stuff when I feel that fear. Um, and it's kind of like stuff that's really deep in me that feels very, it puts me in a vulnerable position, but it's been with me long enough that I don't feel exposed. If that, if that makes sense, I feel vulnerable, but not exposed. Um, it feels very true. So it doesn't, I always test it to think if people came back at this and sort of disagreed wholeheartedly, how would that affect me? So it has to already feel true enough in me that I can put it out there. Um, and then when I get to that moment where I'm about to hit publish, I'm petrified. And and that's, that's where I know I'm sitting on the exact right content. Um, so the things I've covered in the last few months have been my divorce. And I've unpacked that in a couple of posts talking about relationships and lessons learned. Um, and then the deconstruction of my Christianity and how that's led to me actually no longer calling myself a Christian. And, you know, the questions that I've got around that and, and the questions I've got around God and these have lived in me for a while. Um, you know, in some way they've lived in me for, for, dec- for over a decade. Um, and I feel so amazing to finally have the voice, not just to sort of voice to myself or my closest friends or, you know, a confidant, to have the voice to hit publish and, and actually share it wide has felt so empowering and liberating and healing to me. Um, so the, the stuff that's really scary to me tends to link hand in hand with 
the stuff that's most important to me and the stuff that I feel there's something in me actually saying you need to share this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Does that resonate? Yeah. yeah, it does. It does resonate massively. And actually this is something that, um, it is a question that kind of came up for me in a conversation that I had, um, earlier this month as well, but it was posed that as how comfortable do you feel advocating um, for, I think it was self-directed education we were talking about. In terms of how comfortable do you feel saying that this is what you're doing? Um, Because I home educate my kids and I home educate them in a style called unschooling, which is following their interests. And um, I'm a mentor rather than a teacher. Um, And it's It's a very big movement, which actually started off in trying to reform schools. And a lot of schools in other countries are moving towards this way of doing things where we um, allow young people to say what they want to do and then support them to Mm. figure out ways of doing doing things. Um, And so I feel so when they're talking about so how do you feel because it was a a conversation with with people who are kind of at different stages. um, How do you feel talking to your friends and family about like what you're doing. And actually I've been home educating for a really long time time now. Um, so actually I don't feel any old how anyhow about it. I feel like really fine talking about what we're doing. And I don't really care what other people, what other people think, particularly. Um, well, I shouldn't say I don't care, but you know what I mean? Like I've yeah. I'm not impacted by other people's opinions on it. Mm. Um, I'm able to to really rely on my inner guidance there in terms of um being able to to look at, at, at my kids and, and what works for us. But that said, the area that I really struggle with is other talking about other places where um, I'm becoming more self-directed for myself. So mm. realizing that as I'm learning to trust my children, I'm learning to trust myself. Mm. And, um, and that spills into a lot of, a lot of different areas. And for me, spirituality is a really big one. And it's probably the one that I feel is scariest to talk about because mm. it's been drilled in from a really early age that that's what you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to direct yourself. You're supposed mm. to be directed externally, mm. and um, and um, being directed by do being directed by yourself is actually a worrying thing, a heretical thing, mm-hmm. because you are innately evil you know there is something that is broken in you and cannot produce anything that is good Mm -hmm. so what I'm sort of having to learn I realize as I call it self-direction what it really is is self-love you know Mm. and um, and realizing that I am good Mm. and that I can make good decisions and that there is divinity in me but that is those are things that are difficult for me to to talk about because of the conditioning. So I think any area where the conditioning is still really strong mm. is an area where it's going to be scary to, yeah. to talk. Yeah. To talk. It's kind of the, the big, the more work you're doing in, a, in an area, the, the, the bigger it's going to feel. And yeah. also something that you said earlier, Adele is going back to spirituality. And this is something Lou has mentioned to me before as well. And I think to you, Adele, is that you sent your, your blog post to your parents first mm. about mm-hmm. deconstructing your faith and or and not calling yourself not believing or not calling yourself Christian anymore, and I found that so interesting because um, I'm happy to talk about my doubts, my questions quite freely in many respects, and sometimes I do on my blog, but not very often, and that's because 
of thinking about who I could hurt or might hurt and by by sharing that um, and being misunderstood um there are definitely things that I don't put on my blog thinking about my wider family reading it and I hate that I hate the feeling but because my blog has been a real just get it out there process it you know like yeah exactly so healing and therapeutic and I, I wrote it originally just for me I didn't care if no one read it I didn't care if someone read it and got upset because I thought who gives a toss? <laughs> um, but suddenly when it becomes family that read it and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. maybe they have a different interpretation even of your experience or a different interpretation of you. Know, so like if I talk about my upbringing, which is very positive largely, um, but my brother reads my blog and he might have a really different experience to wow. what I did. And then suddenly my voice, it, it kind of scares me about what, power it can have as well both in helping other people but also hindering people and I think the spirituality I think I find that the one and I the one that's the most problematic for that and that but then hearing both of you saying oh you know that level of fear when you're putting something out there but you know it's your truth how um how good that is so when you say that, I think, oh, that's spirituality for me. But um, and, I say and, that, but I hardly ever talk about spirituality. So it's not <laughs> as if I'm living that. <laughs> and it's yeah. because it's partly because my mother, my mother follows everything that I do. And um, thank you, mum, because I'm sure you're <laughs> going to listen to this. <laughs> and it it does um, it does mean that you know I I am always thinking through that lens as well. Um, yeah, sorry, I didn't. Mean to I, I have to. I have to say, say, I have to say, when I did write my post on, you know, the first post I wrote about no longer being a Christian, I didn't write it um, with publishing in mind. I actually wrote it as a private piece to myself, just to process some thoughts. To be honest, so I that was how I wrote it. I guess so raw, so true, so unfiltered. Um, and then I, I just shared it to my best friend and she came back saying, I've got goosebumps. You need to, you need to share this. I actually titled it the blog post I will never publish. Um, and then I shared it with one other close person and they said the same. And then I thought, ah, I've skydived twice. I've walked on fire. I'm the kind of impulsive person that, you know, feels the fear and leans into it. So in that moment I was like, I've got to do it. And I'm so glad I did because hitting publish on that was so freeing for me. And, and, and it, and I'm, I'm so grateful that I, I did that. I think, um, so much of what Adele said about that, that kind of, um, narrative of over our lives of don't trust yourself because you're naturally selfish. Um, it grates me so much even saying it, but wait to hear from God. Not because I don't believe people can hear from God because I actually, do strongly but um how open to flipping interpretation is that what god's told me <laughs> and how much have we all seen it all seen it so badly used that kind of yeah that kind of intrinsic you need to hear from something outside of yourself that you can't trust your own gut which i i don't know if i've ever really believed that but i've definitely taken it on board you know and i've definitely let a lot of shit things be said around me because people have said it under that authority yeah but it comes down to authority doesn't it because it's not even necessarily that it's religion although that is a really big one and all of us have experienced that but 
it's every it's it's deconstructing that idea of authority at every level is does somebody who has this qualification Mm -hmm. you know do they have more of a right to speak on something does their opinion automatically have more value um Mm -hmm. if you have experience you know does does that mean that um experience is less valuable you know um it's, it's lots of things because somebody has a position as a as a politician or or you know or just uh I think there's lots of areas that we could think about about that with and I'm thinking mm. back to sort of the head teacher that you mentioned and actually the domineering mm. kind of behavior that um that he displayed is actually quite encouraged and um not not always but in a lot of situations certainly used to be quite encouraged oh definitely. Um, you know and if we if we sort of took that aside, if we took that apart and said that actually we prefer to hear from somebody who is more pastoral, that's caring and nurturing and and so on. That's really what qualifies somebody to be in that position, rather than somebody who can kind of sort of take charge. And I wonder as well how different a lot of churches would be going swinging back over to this conversation if there was a more human centered approach um, and a more of a of a care for thinking about the person first rather than feeling that you've got to put sort of sort of rules first or a text first or yeah. um or a structure of a of um a structure of a religious or religious order first i would love to hear is there a time to not use your voice yes i think that if you're in a situation where um using your voice would open up a conversation that would be particularly triggering to you, then it may be wise to practice boundaries. And for example? Well, okay, for example, um, when I experience racism, I don't always feel that I need to I need to say anything. You know, there are situations where I just think actually I'm gonna leave that alone and I'm gonna allow people who are further have more distance from the situation to deal with that. I'm just going to hope that that person has other white people in their lives who are going to be able to talk them through that because personally, I don't have the capacity for that right now. Sometimes I do. And I feel like I'm actually, I can come alongside this person and help them to sort of see the situation. But sometimes I'm just like, fuck that. I, I'm not going to deal with this. Yeah. I'm not going to explain. I'm not why the one to said. educate them. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to explain to you by why what you just said to me is problematic <laughs> yeah I second that if it's gonna cause more damage or also I think something I'm slowly learning is if my voice is actually harmful to other people um going back to the privileged conversation am I using my voice instead of letting somebody else use theirs um mm. that's I definitely think this is a lesson I'm learning and a process I'm starting but just trying to realize that am I speaking on behalf of people that actually should be using their own voice and should be being on people and we should be saying who isn't here who aren't we hearing from yeah I think I'll um I'll go with yours what you've said already and my own version that comes to mind about not speaking not using your voice when it's triggering to yourself is um without going into any details but when my marriage ended it ended abruptly and I was left with a lot of questions, so many questions, but you know, it was way more helpful and healing and, um, nurturing to myself 
to just put all those questions aside and I didn't want to, I didn't want to enter into that conversation. I, I knew, I knew my marriage had ended. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, a quick thing. It, it was a definite end. And I wanted to put all my energy into moving forwards rather than unpicking the past. Can I just add something about like, not to counter anything that has been said, but I think that when we, something I've realized recently is that when I'm worried about what I'm putting out there, so rather than, this is not a direct conversation with someone, but when I'm worried that I'm putting out something publicly that might hurt or upset somebody who I know personally, I'm increasingly thinking that I need to consider whether that, uh, that fear actually comes from me having a full sense of responsibility for that person. Mm-hmm. And do I need to actually allow them to go on the journey that they're going to go on? And, you know, sort of free both of us from me feeling like I've got to look after them that way. Because that relationship then is, is being damaged, isn't it, by that, by that full sense of, I can't say this, you don't know the full me. Um, mm. And actually what's really sad, I always think, is there's almost like this grief because there's been this chasm of time where they've not really known each other. Mm. And that's just heartbreaking, actually, that there could be, you could there could be 20 years of parenting a child and there's been a massive thing that they've never really told you or Mm. or a friendship or you know whatever this conversation could go on forever I really feel it could but (laughs) we've we've covered a lot of ground and it took us a long time to start as well so we're we're late we had a lot of technical issues yeah but um we should all share one example though of um a funny situation where we don't use our voice. Um, I was just remembering that I I hate going to the hairdresser anyway. I hate the small talk. I know it's ridiculous because I love to chat, but I hate the small talk of a hairdresser. But when I was about, oh gosh, 13 or 14, I went and got my hair cut in the small town I grew up. I'd gone to a hairdresser's right in the center of town. And I had these pictures of Claire Danes's short bobbed hair that she had for a while. And I really wanted hair like hers. So I cut out like six this is back in the day. I cut out six photos in a magazine <laughs> and took them in with me. Um, and the hairdresser started to cut. And, and actually, she was doing a really good job. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going so... Claire well. Danes was appearing before you in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. But but brunette. But yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is exactly how I want to look. And then suddenly she got like... I thought we were finished, but we weren't. And she got out like gel and mousse and stuff. And then I realised as she's like kind of pulling my hair out like this pull, pulling it in every angle every direction that one of the photos had um Claire Danes had a fan in her face so her hair was like windswept you know and um the hairdresser continued to make my hair look like it was windswept so it was stuck <laughs> in every direction and you know I'm seeing this happen in a mirror and I cannot say anything like I, I just couldn't say what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing with my hair? I just was like, not only did I not say anything, but I wasn't even, because I know that they always say, don't touch your hair, you ruin it, you know. So I was just like, sat on my hands, like eyes massive. Said, oh, thanks. I think I even tipped her because I felt like I should. Oh my and then goodness. I left the hairdresser and I was in the centre of town. <laughs> No hood or anything, with hair just stuck in every direction, 
one area that I've always struggled to speak out about is about my body and whether that's a medical professional or a hairdresser that does an awful job and gets it wrong. Um, but like, surely the area I have the most authority to speak about is my body. And, that, <laughs> and my, but the area I feel the most like I shouldn't, like I don't have the authority to say it. Like, and not in light of anyone, in light of a beautician, in light of a hairdresser, in light of a gynecologist or a doctor, you know, like, I just feel like if they say to me, oh, I think it's this, I feel like I have to just go, oh, okay. Even okay. when my gut's saying, it's not that. <laughs> Jen, never go and get a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. <laughs> I really want one. But... <laughs> Do you know what I thought of just as we were ending? But I was like, oh no, that's a whole new topic. Um, yeah. Permission to use your voice in sex. <laughs> because I was just having the conversation with a friend last week and she was telling me how she can't. She she said with her, with her husband, she was like, I just can't speak. She can't say what she needs. She'll try and like hint it in many ways, but she yeah. just can't use her voice. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really, really common, really, yeah. really common thing. I have to say that it's not an area. I, I have many areas in my life where I struggle <laughs> to use my voice. That's never been one. Yeah. <laughs> it I care too much about my own pleasure. <laughs> I'm exa- no, I'm exactly the same. And um, life I- is too short for shit sex, basically. <laughs> <laughs> <Friggin> <laughs> And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. To find out more about me and my guests, please check the links in the show notes. And to support the podcast, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to join me on Instagram at Big Lou Cook and let me know your thoughts about the episode. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>